Psalm 145, verse 3 with me. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable.
times when I shall never forget just how worthy the name of Jesus is. May he always receive glory and honor and praise in this place.
such a beautiful song. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you would please find Nahum. It's on the end of the Old Testament. Nahum. And find the second chapter. Nahum chapter 2. Former U.S. President Ronald Reagan once said, the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Terrifying words, he said. You know, in all seriousness, there are some phrases that can stop us in our tracks. There are some phrases that can strike fear in our hearts. Phrases maybe like, we need to talk. Or, you're being audited. Or, it's cancer. Or, you're fired. Or, there's been an accident. These types of phrases can make our hearts race, our palms sweaty, our knees knock. They can make us light-headed, maybe make us have to immediately sit down lest we pass out. Mere words, spoken letters that form a word, that form a phrase, but they carry such power. Power that can almost topple us and knock us down with fear. Today I want to talk to you about another phrase that we find in the Bible, another set of terrifying words, a phrase that really makes all of those examples that I gave pale in comparison. In fact, these words that I'm going to share with you today from God's Word, should they be said of us, should literally make us shake and quake in our boots. I mean, they should strike terror and fear in our hearts like nothing else. They are words from God. And these words that I'm talking about were spoken about the city of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. He says these words in chapter 2, and then he repeats them again in chapter 3. What phrase, what set of words am I talking about today? Well, there are these words, beloved. I'll put them on the screen. Nahum 2.13 and 3.5. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. God says to them, I am against you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Almighty God saying to you, I am against you? Now, it's one thing for someone to say those words to you. I mean, I know the majority of us would never want anybody to say that against. I'm against you. But then if somebody in authority and someone in power were to say those things, it would certainly bother us. But imagine, here we have the one with all power, all authority, God Himself saying, I am against you. And notice the wording. It doesn't just say that the Lord says, I am against you. It says, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. David Gusick made this interesting observation. It's bad when God is against you. It's even worse when the Lord of hosts is against you. This title refers to God's place as the commander-in-chief over all the armies of heaven. So now we not only have the Lord God, but He's saying, I, the Lord God, the commander-in-chief over all the armies, the heavenly host, I am against you. Can you imagine? But that's where the Ninevites found themselves. 
That's where the Assyrian kingdom, the Assyrian empire found themselves. Now, if you haven't already, you're in Nahum chapter 2, I hope, by now. We call this series the rest of the story because Nahum is the rest of the story of Nineveh. And you remember Nineveh probably, if you've ever read through the Bible, you know the story of Jonah. You know that Jonah was sent to preach against Nineveh. And his message was simple, repent because judgment is coming. God's going to judge. And under Jonah's ministry, there's a great repentance, there's a great revival, and God does not bring about immediate judgment. But then you have a series of, of days and years that passes by, time passes by, and Nineveh is no longer repenting. Nineveh has become wicked. Nineveh has become evil and wicked. The Assyrian Empire itself. And here in chapter 2, we're going to read about the downfall of Nineveh. Now, I've got to remind you that this is a prophecy. Nahum's one of the minor prophets. By the way, when you hear about the minor prophets, that's a, that don't think minor leagues. Don't think a lesser prophet. It just means the length of their book, the length of their prophecy is, is shorter. And so here we have Nahum, one of the, the uh, minor prophets. He's prophesying these things about Nineveh. And as you read today, it reads like it's happening right then. But actually, he's prophesying about what's going to happen in the future. Old J. Vernon McGee, he's still on the radio, he said this about this chapter. He said, this chapter is Nahum's detailed prophecy, which today is an accurate historical record of what took place about 100 years after Nahum. You know, God is long-suffering. God is gracious. But I've got to tell you here, when you read this, and as we study this today, I want you to kind of, Kind of picture it in your mind. I know we live in a digital age and you're used to screens and you're used to movies and you're used to technology, but as best you can as I read it today, can you kind of see it with your mind's eye? Can you kind of visualize what's going on? Now, I've got to tell you, I note that God is long-suffering, God is gracious, I just said, but really what you have here is not, is not a call to repentance. This is a warning. Um, there's no hope for Nineveh. Um, they're doomed. In fact, you're going to see that it appears that Nahum is even mocking them as he brings out this prophecy. And at the same time that he's doing that, he's encouraging God's people, Judah. So if you can visualize this, if you want to follow along in your copy of the Scripture, by all means, please do. But if not, just listen as I read the prophecy concerning Nineveh from God's man, Nahum. Nahum chapter 2 Verses 1 through 13. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort. Watch the road. Strengthen your flanks. Fortify your power mightily. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. The shields of his mighty men are made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots come with flaming torches in the day of His preparation and the spears are brandished. The chariots rage in the street. They jostle one another in the broad roads. They seem like torches. They run like lightning. He remembers His nobles. They stumble in their walk. They make haste to her walls and the defense is prepared. The gates of the rivers are open and the palace is dissolved. It is decreed, she shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up. And her maid servant shall lead her as with the voice of doves beating their breast. 
Though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt! Halt! They cry. But no one turns back. Take the spoil. Take, take the silver. Take the spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. She is empty, desolate, and waste. The heart melts. And the knees shake. Much pain is in every side. And all their faces are drained of color. Where is the dwelling of the lions? And the feeding place of the young lions where the lion walked and the lioness and the lion's cubs and no one made them afraid. The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lioness, filled his caves with prey and his dens with flesh. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. Judgment is coming upon the Assyrians. Judgment is coming upon their capital, Nineveh. The Assyrians were cruel, wicked, brutal people. I'll spare you the details. I could have brought along some very disturbing accounts from the history of these people. Suffice it to say, as I was reading this past week, it is said that when the Assyrians were on the march, when the Assyrians were on the march, the army was moving along in many places where they were coming upon a community. And that community was in line to be marched over by the Assyrian army. I'm told that the people in those communities would commit suicide rather than fall into the hands of the Assyrians and their army. They were dreaded, they were feared, they were brutal, and in the ancient world, they struck terror in the hearts of those who came up against them. I mean, imagine they're just coming your way and you commit suicide because they're so brutal and wicked and they're overthrown. Now, that same kind of brutality and that same kind of terror is going to befall them. It says here, Nahum says, He who scatters is coming. Ultimately, the Lord is going to destroy them. Now, He's going to use the Medes and the Babylonians to accomplish His purpose, but it's actually God. God is the one who's going to judge them. You see the battle scene before us here. The attackers, they approach the city. And a call goes out, man the fort, watch the, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, strengthen yourselves, get ready, they're coming. The, the, the Ninevites are there and they see them coming towards the city and the crying goes out, get ready, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. And then in verse 2, we're told why they're coming. The Lord is judging the Assyrians. He's going to restore His people Judah. Now by the way, that will not be completely accomplished until the Lord Himself comes and sets up His kingdom and restores Israel and Judah. But the Lord was going to do away with the Ninevites. He's going to do away with the Assyrian Empire. And then in verses 3 and 4, we get a glimpse of the Medo-Babylonian army as they come. It says they come with red shields. We don't know if it's referring there to the color of the shields or maybe the blood that has stained the shields or maybe both. Uh, it says they had red uniforms. They're coming in their chariots. They're coming along and they're coming to conquer. 
They're coming to overthrow the Assyrians. And in verse 5, it appears that the Assyrians there, they kind of rally their troops. They're trying to, to, to stay off the, the, the conquering there. But what happens to them? They stumble. And the battle progresses. And the Assyrians, the, the Ninevites here. Well, we could summarize what happens in verse 10. It says in verse 10, she's empty, desolate, and waste. The heart melts, the knees shake, much pain is in every side, and all their faces are drained of color. And then there's these vivid words in the passage. You probably noticed them about the lion and the lioness and the lion's cubs. The lion was an important symbol, an emblem of their society, of their kingdom. And you see here these lions who have been so successful and doing so well, they are totally defeated. God is going to totally destroy the Ninevites and the Assyrians. Now, let's be honest. The question that may be upon your mind is this. What does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with us living in 2022? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. I believe that there's a lot that we can take away from this ancient account, from this ancient civilization. I want you to notice as we read there, and we're going to go back and look at some of this together. I want you to notice what these people trusted in when it came to their city and their empire and their kingdom. Here you have Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the kingdom of Assyria. And I want you to notice what they look to for security and stability. And in fact, before I start listing off the things from the passage here, I want to just point out to you as we go along, it's interesting that I noted as I studied, people are still trusting in the same things today. Let me share some of these with you. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot these down. I want you to notice, first of all, that they had a strong military. They had a strong military. Remember, I told you this army was feared in the ancient world. It was mighty. It was powerful. It was brutal. And it was successful. And they overthrew and overthrew and they conquered and they were victorious in many, many ways. They lived in a very heavily fortified city. I, I learned this past week that none of us armory, their armory made up 40 acres. And it contained all the weaponry that had made the Assyrian Empire great. They had bows and arrows and swords and spears and armor and chariots. They had a quite a military. We would think about it today. They had tanks and jets and all that, you know, we would think of in today's terms. They had it back in that day. They were a mighty military. These were not schoolboys throwing pebbles. These were mighty warriors. And they had a strong military. But let me just mention to you, what is a strong military? What kind of match is that for the commander of the armies of heaven? They not only had a strong military, they had a mighty monarch. A mighty monarch. The one who would rule a kingdom like the Assyrian Empire was no weak sissy. 
He would be a force to reckon with with amazing authority. I'm sure that people revered him and looked to him for direction and safety. Interestingly enough, I was reading my devotional time last night. I was in the book of 1 Samuel. And I was reading there as the people come to Samuel, he had set up his own sons to be judges. You remember the story. He set up his own sons, but his own sons didn't follow Samuel and his righteousness. No, they, they perverted justice. And the people came, and you know what they said to Samuel? Give us the king like the other nations. Give us the king. And you remember the story that Samuel, he goes to the Lord, he, he cries to the Lord, and, and God says to them, well, listen, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Give them what they ask for, but warn them. And you go and you read there and he talks about, listen, here's what's going to happen. When you get a king, he's going to take your sons and daughters. He's going to take your livestock. He's going to take all these things and put them in his service. It's going to be costly for you. And yet it's interesting. They say, we still want a king. We want someone to lead us out in our battles. And I thought about that and my heart sunk. They had God Almighty. A theocracy. God was the ruler, but they rejected God and wanted a man to lead them. Of course, you know the story, if you've read it, is they chose Saul. And Saul was the first king and God appointed Saul, but you know, Saul had a mighty fall and it wasn't good. But the point being is, even our Israelites, even God's people are looking to their king to lead them out in the battle and the Assyrians here are looking to their mighty monarch for direction and safety. And today, how many people are looking to their leaders for safety and security and stability? Oh, those in government are going to take care of us. Those in government are going to help us with this. Those in government are going to make sure we're safe and protected and provided for. But what do we read in verse 6 here of chapter 2? It says, the palace dissolved. The palace dissolved. It's important for us to remember that one day all of these mighty things we have, the mighty army and our government and all these wonderful things that God has blessed us with, they're going to burn up. They had a mighty military, it failed. They had a mighty monarch, failed. And did you notice likewise they had plenty of money? Plenty of money. Remember, they've been ravaging other peoples and been carrying off spoil all this time. And look at what it says in verse number 9. Verse 9 says, take spoil of silver, take spoil of gold. Listen, there's no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable price. It seemed they had more money and more treasure and more wealth than they could count. But what good did it do them in the day of trouble when the Lord of hosts said, I am against you. And how many people today... They look to this for their security. If I can just get enough money, if I can just amass enough wealth, if I can get a large enough, a large enough portfolio, I can have enough stocks and bonds and certificates and land and whatever, if I can just get enough money and store up enough money and get a big enough account, I'll be safe. Friend, I hope we know better than that. I hope we know better than that. Money takes wings and flies away. It could be here and gone tomorrow. You see, the citizens of Nineveh, they had a mighty army, a fortified city, a mighty monarch, a king, and they had plenty of money and all these resources and all this stuff. But it says they were left how? They were left empty 
and desolate and in waste. Why? Because the Lord of hosts was against them. You know, as believers, we treasure, we treasure Romans chapter 8, verse 31. You know, Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What a blessing that verse is. And if God be for us, who can be against us? But you know what? I think we could flip that around and be just as true, wouldn't it? We could say it this way. If God be against us, who can be for us? If God be against us, who can be for us? I'm told in the heat of the American Civil War, one of President Lincoln's advisors said that he was grateful that God was on the side of the Union. He told President Lincoln this. This is what Lincoln said to that advisor. And I quote, Sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Wise words. Wise words. As I thought about this passage, as I thought about the account here in Nahum chapter 2, I couldn't help but think of Proverbs, I mean Psalm 20, verse 7. Psalm 20, verse 7 says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in chariots and horses. We've got a mighty army. We've got a great king. We've got plenty of money and resources and fortified and thick walls and all these things. We trust in them. They fail. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. But here's where I'm getting at today. So where are you going with this preacher? I'm going right here. Do we really, do we really trust in the name of the Lord our God? I'm asking that question to believers today. Do we really trust in the name of the Lord our God? Or could it be, could it be that we are trusting in our great military and we're thankful for our military? We're thankful for the men and women and their families and the sacrifices and all that they do. We're grateful for that. Or could it be that we're trusting in our leaders? Or could it be that we're trusting in our money and our resources? Or could it be that we have a combination of those things? We think, oh, we're Americans. We're invincible. We have a mighty army. We have a powerful government. We have a lot of resources and a lot of money and a lot of protections. Have you seen our armory? Have you seen what we have? You see, it's easy to say that we trust in the Lord. Those are easy words to say. But do we really trust in Him? Where is our real security today? Beloved, let me just think about this with you. What are we really trusting in today? Are we trusting in chariots? Are we trusting in horses? In other words, the things that we have, are we trusting in the name of the Lord our God? Listen, some listening to me right now, you can't trust in God because you don't even know God. You don't even know Him. I mentioned earlier how scary it would be for God to say, I'm against you. But in a real sense, you know, before we come to faith in the Lord, before we come to faith in Jesus, in a real sense, we are an enemy of God. Our whole life is all against the Lord and His ways and His will. Our whole trajectory of living is against Him. 
But it doesn't have to remain that way, no, because God loves us and God sent Christ. We've been singing about Jesus all morning. Jesus came and He lived a sinless, perfect life and He died on the cross and shed His precious blood. And the Bible says if you will accept Him as your Lord and Savior, He will forgive you and cleanse you, make you a child of God and give you a home in heaven if you'll simply trust, if you'll simply call upon the name of the Lord. If you've never done that, I encourage you to do that today. Trust Him as Lord and Savior. But I know I'm talking to a lot of people today who you say, I've already done that, that's settled. Well, let's be honest about it. We say, well, we trust the Lord for eternity. We're saved. We're, we're going to heaven. But are we really trusting in Him now? Do we really know Him now? Do we really rest upon Him now? Is He really our security Is He really our hope? Is He really who we put all our security, all our stability, all of our hope, and all of our trust? I really want you to think about that question today. It's so easy for us to say that we do but then go and get our bank account statement out and get our plans out. Think about the man who had an abundance of crops. Remember in the story in the Bible. And he had so much, he said, well, I said, what should I do? I got more than my barns will hold. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down these and build more barns and build bigger barns. Then I'll say to my soul, soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. For thou hast much, you know, you, you've laid, you got it made. You're ready to retire. You got it made. You remember what happened in that story? It says that night the Lord said to him, thou fool, tonight, tonight you're leaving this place. Tonight you're going to die. What good is all that going to do for you? Listen, there's nothing wrong with preparing for tomorrow. There's nothing wrong with wise stewardship and uh, preparing and having accounts and retire, whatever, all that's fine and good in its place. But I'm asking you this, are you trusting in that or are you trusting in the Lord? I don't care if you have $20 million or $100 million, you're going to leave this place and it will do you no good. What's going to matter is do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And by the way, I do need to mention, you're going to give an account of how you spent that money when you stand before Him. You say, well, I'm a believer. Well, you're going to give an account of how you handled those finances and those resources. You're going to give an account. Because God does not give us all these things to live in the lap of luck and just boast in our goodness. He gives, these, gives us these things. Why? We might use them for His honor and glory. To further His kingdom. And so I ask again today, very simply, what are you really trusting in? Be honest with yourself. What or who are you trusting in? Would you bow with me in prayer? You don't know Christ. Today's the day to receive Him as Lord and Savior. So what do I do? 
Simply cry out to Him. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. Ask Him to save you and He will. You can do that right where you are. Lord, forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've, I've done wrong. I don't want my sin. I want Jesus. I believe He died for me. I believe He rose for me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I give You my all. I trust You. You pray a prayer like that, you mean it. He will save you. The majority of today's message was for believers. How about it? What are you trusting in today? What are you trusting in? Is it really the Lord? Would you pray about that for a moment where you're seated? Father, I don't know what Your Spirit is doing in the hearts of Your people today. But may we be submissive and obedient to however He's leading us. Father, we look at this story in Nahum and it's a very difficult story and it's very, well, it's just unpleasant to say the least to read about these things, but You have a purpose for recording them. We've learned some lessons we need to plot our own lives today. So help us to do that. And help us not to trust in chariots or trust in horses, but to trust in the name of Your name, Your goodness, Your faithfulness, Your awesomeness. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. The altar is open this morning if you need to pray. If you have further questions about trusting Christ as Savior, we'd love to help you with that. If you want to come and pray about something, we'd love to help you with that as well. 439, out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus I come, Jesus I come. 439, the altar is open. You come as we sing. 439, Jesus I come. Amen.